following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. This is a uh, special uh, season of my life when uh, I don't have anything on television that I put on my calendar. And uh, this is uh, pretty common, actually. There's a very, I, my schedule is just so full, I just don't usually make room in my calendar for a show on TV. Uh, even the most popular ones, I haven't been all that interested in making sure that I'm there to, to watch the broadcast. But that wasn't always true. There was a time in my life when Monday nights was almost sacred. And um, <clears throat> there was something on schedule that wasn't on my calendar, but it was in my mind. And I always try to make sure that I was at home to watch that with my family. And uh, in fact, there were times when I would actually deny or, or turn down opportunities for even ministry because I wanted to be home on Monday night. And, and that show was called 24. And uh, I was a Jack Bauer fan. I mean, I, I can't imagine how you can actually control the world with a 9 millimeter semi-automatic and a, and a laptop. But that's all you really needed, and all you needed was 24 hours, and you can, you can control the entire world. Uh, but I used to laugh at myself, and my family used to laugh at me, but uh, they didn't laugh too hard because they were there with me as we watched this in, entire episode. And, and then during the Christmas season when my family would gather, it was amazing to me that they had oftentimes check out the entire series of a season, and they'd do a 24-hour marathon. And, of course, when I was out there and I, I heard the lights, I heard the noises and saw the lights, I'd get up out of bed and go out there. And, and 24 was on, and they'd all be asleep on the sofa as the show kept on going on from one, one disaster to the next. So I thought about that this Christmas season because I'm going to be going home uh, on Friday uh, back to Portland, Oregon, and to see my kids. And I'm sure they're going to have some kind of 24-hour marathon on TV, I just don't know what show it's going to be. But 24 used to be a favorite for all of us. And that kind of loyalty that we had as a family to this TV show was, was almost uncommon. I mean, it wasn't just the kids. It was uh, mom and me, and we were there with them. So I thought a lot about this whole business as we anticipate Christmas season coming and what loyalty is all about and, and how in the world do you mark loyalty and how in the world does loyalty actually arise. And for all of us as guys, this concept of loyalty or faithfulness or devotion or determination really is part of the fabric of who we are as men. And when God made us and created us, it's one of the unique features about men that really becomes a focal point of how we initiate leadership in all of our relationships and all of our areas of responsibility. It's actually one of the features that is dominant in this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at uh, this morning in the first nine verses of Joshua chapter 5. And um, as we think about that, as I, I looked up online, again, pictures and images, and I just called up loyalty. And some of the images that's, that came are those kinds of pictures that really don't need a lot of words. And for some of you who are here and you're veterans, and you know the sense where loyalty and devotion, dedication and commitment, where your word is your bond, become an identification part of who you are. And it becomes a part of your manhood, it becomes a part of your being, becomes a part of your identity. Then there are certain pictures, not only relationships between guys that are very powerful in this whole component, but there's a sense where even if we are by ourselves, that there's color, there's texture, 
that all that's all it takes in order to stimulate that depth of feeling and commitment that we have. So when we think of the red, white, and blue and the flag that's flying, it's one of those things that stirs within our spirit something very, very powerful. But we can translate this out of just the area of manhood and realize that there's a relationship and symbols that go along with what it means for us to be dedicated and devoted and faithful. And one of those symbols here is in relationship to the, to the ring and the wedding ring that is uh, probably on the hands of uh, many of us, and maybe in the minds of many of us, maybe in the future for some of us, but certainly on the hearts and the minds of someone with whom we are dedicated for the rest of our lives. Resting on the Word of God, something pretty special about an image like this. And as an ordained minister, I perform my share of, of uh, those kinds of uh, gatherings when a man and a woman would stand before God and witnesses and exchange their vows. And when we got to the ring ceremony, it was almost always the same kind of thing. A ring is a great and fitting symbol of our commitment on this day because it is a, it is a, it is a shape that has no beginning or end. That's what a, that's what a ring is, a circle. It's made of some of the finest uh, treasured metals on the earth because it uh, t- tells us about how precious this commitment of longevity is going to be. And you say those kinds of things, and you that could just kind of description of a metaphor, and it certainly seems to resonate in the minds of young people who are deeply devoted. Well, that kind of devotion, whether it's uh, for marriage, for the long run, or a very special television show, uh, where we try to get wrapped up in the lives and the action uh, of what happens in the world, it's all symbolized with this whole sense of what loyalty is, from a very special passage of Scripture. Listen as I read uh, this account of the, the narrative that comes from Joshua 5, 1 through 9. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast, that encapsulates the entire area of Israel, heard how the Lord, again Yahweh, Jehovah God, the God who makes promises and keeps them, had dried up the Jordan during flood season. It wasn't just a simple time when those areas where the, the river, like in the middle of the summer, runs just a few yards wide, said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise Israelites again. Now once a, a very short statement like that is made, all the grown men kind of flinch. There's a sense where they cringe. And they thought, as they asked their fellow, did he, hear, did he say what I thought he said? And it would have been nice if they had done that when we were babies and wouldn't have any kind of recollection. But he's going to do that now when we're grown adults. So verse 3. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah Haraloth. There's no debate, no hesitation, no asking for clarification. Joshua just heard God's word. It was clear to him when he heard it just once. And he acted on the basis of God's instruction. We've seen that as a pattern in the life of Joshua. It's becoming a model for all of us. Obedience to God only knows one kind of description. Immediate obedience is the only obedience that God knows. Slow obedience is no obedience at all. Verse 4, now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. Significant. God gives a reason. He doesn't deride the people, but we know that there is a 
condemnation in that explanation. If there's condemnation in a simple explanation, then there has been disobedience in the lives of other people. The Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they had left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. I don't know about you, but I've always thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to have lived a life that it would have been worthy of an entry into inspired literature, into inspired scripture? But that's one place where I wouldn't want to be a part of that collection of men. For the Lord, Jehovah, the God who makes promises and keeps them, had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. To be denied what you have been in pursuit of your entire life. What a sad, sad moment. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. God is always, especially in the Old Testament, you can see it so clearly, God is always multi-generational. He is not locked in to a single generation. So as the scripture goes on here, uh, they were... they. Uh, in verse 8, and after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in a camp until they were healed. Significant from the standpoint of comparing nar- a narrative of God's ways, divine ways, and human ways. And we'll get to that momentarily because that's a very important part of our lesson today. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. So a lot of meaning wrapped up in this whole process. And as we think through what Joshua chapter 5 verse 1 is all about, uh, I am struck with verse 1. Because the nation of Israel is going to be entering into a context where militarily they're going to be threatened. Where the lives of their people are going to be in danger. But before they get into the conflict, God does something very special. And this is a, a lesson that all of us guys are probably pretty familiar with under the surface, what it's like to be discouraged and when we as men have felt like we did not want to go further because of what we feared. If fear has ever been a part of keeping you from doing something that you knew that God wanted you to do, remember the lesson that we will look at here in verse 1. The scripture tells us here through inspired commentary that the kings both to the west and to the east of where the promised land was, they were individuals who were now afraid. Because of the crossing of the Jordan by the nation of Israel on dry ground, the news of that miracle spread throughout all the land, these who were now the enemies of the nation of Israel. That news had an effect. One of the most amazing things you could watch in Scripture is the dynamic called cause and effect. God does something. And it elicits a certain effect in the lives of people. We know what that's like when suddenly we see circumstances around us. And it takes away the actual courage and strength in our spirit. And we almost don't want to move forward. We could feel the weakness enter into our knees. And our determination in our mind evaporates. That's what's happening here to the nations around where Israel is crossing now to challenge them with regard to this real estate. And the Bible says this is the effect. Their hearts melted and they no longer had courage to face the Israelites. 
this was God's designed impact. God wanted this to happen. If you were ever in a situation as an individual when suddenly you realized that circumstances had a tremendous impact on us and took away our courage, will you remember this lesson? God took an entire verse in inspired literature to show us how he removes the threat of those who cause us fear. And he does that because of a blessing that he's poured out in our life. And when people see the blessing poured out in the nation of Israel, they become no longer a threat because they are now afraid of what God is going to do for a people that they want to oppose. God takes care of the problems before we ever take a step into the arena of obedience that he wants us to follow. So when God leads, as we watch here in Joshua chapter 5, it's a very powerful lesson. God wants him, the nation of Israel, to go across the Jordan River and take on these people who are in the land that God has promised the, the, all the descendants of Abraham. But you think about all these military people hiding behind their fortifications. That is a formidable task. And now the nation of Israel out there with no fortification, but just a, a, a people group wandering. They are now going to take on these, these enemies with a military onslaught. Everyone's terrified, but with their focus is upon the presence of God, like they did when they crossed the Jordan River, keeping their eyes on the Ark of the Covenant, not because it was an amazing piece of furniture, but instead because it was a focal point of God's presence in their, in their lives. God would then bless them through this miracle and take away the courage of all their enemies. Whatever it is that's causing you to be afraid, to step out in obedience, remember God will never lead us unless he also removes the threat of what discourages us. I've often uh, talked to my kids over the years. It's, it was always fun. My, my wife and I are a great team. She loved taking care of the kids when they are newborns and when they are babies. I just had a hard time. How do you hold this kid? What do you do when their diaper stinks? Uh, I don't know what they're doing when they're crying in the middle of the night. But by the time they turned into teenagers, my wife just couldn't stand them. They couldn't stand her. It was time to step in as a dad. I just loved engaging my kids when you can have a genuine conversation with them. One of the most amazing things I used to talk to my kids all about, why don't you want to do this? What is it causing you to do? I'm afraid. I'm nervous. I'm hesitant. And we used to always talk. Does God want you to do this? It's not a matter of whether you're willing to face the the dangers. It's not really all about the discomfort. It's all about determining God's will for your life. If God wants you to do this, he's going to pave the way for you to enjoy a life of blessing as you obey him. Now, there there are aberrations from that. I understand that. Every once in a while, God wants us to go into danger, and it's going to be tough and painful. I, I understand that. But by and large, God leads us to where he wants us to go, and he takes care of the problems in advance so that we don't have to worry about it. There was an amazing story when a missionary came back to the United States, went to the church, one of the churches that supported him, and as he was giving his report, he was telling them about one of his responsibilities was to take the the very valuable medicines that came from the United States and to transport them in deep into the jungles to the missionary doctors 
who were serving a lot of the, the hidden tribes in the jungles. And one of the trips he went on, he couldn't get an armed guard to go with him. And he knew that the medicines were sorely needed. He couldn't even get anybody to go with him, so he packed up these medicines on his own, and he launched into the jungles all by himself. Several days of travel, you know, it was amazing as he prayed and asked God to protect him. You know, he, he, was, he was stunned that he saw no other human beings and ran into no difficulties whatsoever. And so he delivered the medicines, and the doctors were thrilled. It came just at the perfect time. They were able to save a lot of lives. And then uh, not long after that, several weeks went by as he was traveling through the different villages, he came to a group of uh, missionaries who were thrilled to introduce him to some new converts who had come to know faith. And uh, when he says, man, I'd love to meet him, he, the missionary uh, brought this uh, traveler to, missionary traveler uh, into a hut and, and uh, said, here are the men that have recently come to know the Lord. And these men all looked up with big eyes popping out and stared at this missionary traveler and and uh, they, they said, uh, he is the one. And they said, well, what do you mean? No, he's the one. We, when we were in the woods just weeks ago, we were going to rob him. We knew that he would come through the woods with expensive medicines. We were going to rob him, and we were going to take his life. But when we saw him coming through the woods, he, he had seven of the biggest, the biggest bodyguards we have ever seen. They were huge, and they were frightening. We couldn't even move from our hiding places. So this missionary, when he came back to the United States, he, he spoke to this church and told them about this story. And uh, right in the middle of his presentation, the pastor got up and put his arms around uh, the missionary, and the missionary was surprised, and, and the pastor apologized uh, just one moment. And he uh, pointed to one of the men in the church, and he says, uh, Charlie, um, Hold on for a second. And uh, he asked the missionary, when did this episode happen? The missionary gave him the kind of time on the calendar. And then the pastor says, Charlie, when was it that you asked me to, to call the men of the church together for a special prayer meeting because you had just this overwhelming burden for our missionary here? And Charlie, Charlie said the date that that was coincidental with what the missionary had just said. And the pastor said, I know it was kind of a last-minute calling of men, of men to pray, but men, you who showed up for that prayer meeting, could you please stand? And one by one, the men stood, and before you knew it, there were seven men in that congregation who were standing. Now, I, I heard that story, and I thought to myself, that's the way God works. Before we even know that there's a threat or a danger, God goes before us, and he takes care of the problem. And he removes the danger, he removes the discomfort, so that his will can be done. That's God's normal way. Now I know that the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 20, he said, the Holy Spirit warned me wherever I go, wherever I go, there's going to be nothing but danger and problems and prison and, 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 and rebuke. And Well, that's okay, that's, nor that's normal for Paul, but for the rest of us, when God leads us to do something in obedience and we're kind of afraid of the circumstances of the people we might run into, it is amazing that God probably has taken care of all those problems. When I, when I come down the Interstate 10, like on a day like today, and I'm, I'm bebopping down that road and I get to this place of, of arrival, I'm thinking, God, I don't know how many accidents you saved me from or how many lousy drivers you told them to get up a little bit later. Or how many people that were on the road that shouldn't have been there and you told them to take another route, but I, I'm grateful for that. 
We will not know until we get to heaven how many times God paved the way for us in obedience. If that's true and we believe that and we see this in Scripture, maybe one of the other factors that we should realize is how many times have we not obeyed God because our eyes were upon the circumstances and the fearful things and the discomforting things. Now, all of us here have this tremendous influence in the lives of either our family or our friends or our co-workers because our gathering here at Warrior's Heart is not about us. It's all about what we can do in God's name to influence the lives of people around us. And during this Christmas season, I mean, this is the last time we're going to be meeting for the Christmas season. How many lives can we influence because of our confidence in what God has already done in advance of our stepping out in obedience? So that's what we have here at Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. The nation of Israel is just about ready to launch into a military strike into a land that God has promised them. And before they can even go anywhere, God has shown us, all the observers from generations gone by, how he caused the enemies of the nation of Israel to be overwhelmed with fear. Otherwise, militarily, they might have done something much more different and attacked the nation of Israel and taken the initiative to overwhelm them militarily. They could have done it. If they could have united themselves against this band of intruders, they probably militarily could have won. Not a whole lot different today. I don't know about you and the whole world, uh, what you think about the Israelis among all those Arabs, but if the Arabs ever got themselves organized and united together, the nation of Israel would never stand a chance. But because of the individuality and the division among them, the hesitation and all of the internal fighting with all those Arab nations that surround this small piece of land, the nation of Israel has enjoyed this amazing respite for generations. When we think about the operational oddities that follow here in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 5, I, I am stunned. At that time, those three words are stunning. I mean, God says to Joshua, I want you to circumcise all the guys before you go into battle. Joshua doesn't say to God, which is what many of us probably would have said, hey, God, you know, uh, you remember the story of Dinah and and uh, the boys there with Simeon and his brother Levi? And the daughter Dinah, was, she was... She was violated by these, these, these awful people, and now they want to bring her into their home. And so these guys says, okay, we'll agree to let you have our sister, but you have to agree to our spiritual priorities. You have to have all the men in your home circumcised. And they said, okay. And while they were healing from the pain of their circumcision, Simeon and Levi knew that would happen. They came in and overwhelmed them militarily and killed them all. So Joshua didn't say, you know, God, this is kind of a not a good idea. I mean, if you wanted us to circumcise all the men, why couldn't we do it on the other side of the Jordan? Why, we could have been protected by the river from any kind of attack. But no, you want us to come across the river, Jordan, now that there's nothing protecting us from all of our enemies, and you want me to incapacitate all my military men. There is something very, very amazing about God's timing. This was not militarily expedient. But you will notice here that one of the most amazing things is that Joshua practiced, continually practiced, that the only obedience he knew was immediate obedience when God made his will clear. 
So this business about circumcision wasn't just a wasn't just a painful painful kind of surgery done with a flint knife, but instead it was something very special so that these fighting men could realize that they were living on the basis of a huge promise that God had promised them this land that they were now in, that God would give it to them, and that no one would be able to stand up against them. This was God's promise to the nation of Israel. And this mark on their body was a reminder that God had given them a connection with him and with this land. God wanted them to remember. God wanted them to treasure. God wanted them to commit. God wanted them to worship. No one knows how to worship God better than those who remember what God has done, than those who treasure what God has promised, than those who have committed themselves to very clear lines of obedience that God has given. Those are the kinds of individuals who know what deep personal worship is all about. So when we think about this whole process, there is something in your lives probably as men. You've made promises to Almighty God. He has given you clear direction. Are you courageous enough to trust him, even though the circumstances around us and the avenue of what God has called us to do seem incredibly dangerous? Well, there were good reasons for this circumcision, because all the men of military age died in the desert. Those who had been circumcised before they left Egypt they realize that Mark on their body recognized that they had a connection with the promises of Almighty God. But these who had been given this tremendous miracle of being rescued from Egypt, being eyewitnesses and experiential individuals of crossing the Red Sea, being the recipients of God's amazing commandments through Moses, these men forgot or ignored, or overlooked the value of passing on to their children the importance of their connection to the same Almighty God. None of them were circumcised who were born in their wilderness journey. Gentlemen, one of the great lessons that God is telling us here, we must be multi-generational in our thinking, as is God. It's not just about us. Not just about how we live our lives, but how we are spiritually impacting the next generation. Maybe it was providential that we had an announcement about children's ministries. Because when we pour into that generation that's coming up, God knows that we are thinking way beyond just ourselves. And we are investing in the generation that's coming up. I love it when I get to hang out with young people and be impactful and influential in their spiritual perception on what God wants them to do. All the people that had been had come out had, had been circumcised, but none of the ones in the desert had done it. So gentlemen, if you are here and God has blessed you with the privilege of being a father, take that privilege with a great deal of sincere, genuine, responsibility. Pour into that next generation what God has given to you. 
If you have not been blessed with kids, it's not a matter of being left out of this. Find kids who can be blessed by you. And there are plenty of them out there. It's just a matter of pouring into the next generation. Not saying, okay, I'm free from this because I've not had any children. It's not about that. It's a matter of whether or not we'll pour in to the generation to come. So the scripture tells us here that uh, whole thing of uh, relationships, that those who are of military age who had left Egypt. God keeps on repeating this from a couple of different perspectives. He doesn't want us to miss this. Physical death is a natural cause, but physical death can also be God removing the privilege of blessing in our lives if we live a life where we forget what God wants us to do. Raising up their sons in their place, it's an amazing thing when we consider the possibilities of what God wants us to do. I was uh, doing some uh, reading and, and I uh, was, was stunned when uh, I was doing some reading on modern air travel. And uh, one, of the, one of the features in this particular presentation of modern air travel was what the baggage handlers learn about people who travel today in our very busy society. And a group of them were together and they were asked, well, you guys probably get a lot of lost luggage and a lot of lost articles out of luggage. What in the world, what, what in the world are the funny things that you've seen? And they tell some of the funny stories and some of the funny things and the oddities. And then the, the person in the interview did a really good job of interviewing. They asked some humorous things to take down some of the guards. They tell some favorite things so that there's winning trust. And then they ask the question that they really want to ask after they've won the trust and broken down some of the walls. What is the one thing that's the most commonly lost article in airline travel? There was this huge silence. And all the guys who were there, who were baggage handlers, they kind of looked at each other knowingly. Wondering who's going to tell this interviewer what they all knew to be positive. Without any debate, without any seconds, without any thirds, the number one thing that they find as far as lost articles in airline luggage, men's wedding rings. There was no debate, there was no second, there was no thing. Ah, I think about the, no, no, no. All of them knew the most commonly lost item in airline luggage was men's wedding rings. Because when men travel, they take them off. So that when they go to a new place where no one knows them, it gives them opportunity to do things they should not do when they made a promise before God and witnesses that they would be faithful to one. Now that's a, that's a huge commentary on our culture. May warrior's heart set us apart as being very different from all of that. That faithfulness to what God has given to us as a charge would be nothing more than a reflection on how faithful he has been to us even before we step into any avenue of obedience. God takes care of the problems. He asks us simply to demonstrate our obedience to him through trust that we have nothing to worry about even though our eyes and our minds might be afraid of what other men of the world might be afraid of. As we wrap up this section here, the scripture simply says that the Lord said, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. God acknowledges a complete, completed task. God has taken away the reproach of the nation of Israel that they 
would never be able to take this land because they were now in it, regardless of the formidable enemy that they were now facing. And they called the place Gilgal. God would fight for Israel as a covenant-keeping blessing. God keeps his promises to us, and he simply asks us to be faithful and obedient to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this lesson. It is um, tucked away here in the scripture, and so many times we read over it quickly, and yet you put some things here in amazing order. That as we end our year here in 2013, our attention is now riveted to what you've done here so precisely. All of us men, Lord, face opportunities and directions from you. And sometimes we just shrink back because we just think it's too difficult or too uncomfortable. Will you remind us of this passage, Lord, at those times? Whether it's a word that needs to be spoken an action that needs to be taken, expression that needs to be fulfilled. Whatever it is, Lord, that we shrink back from, help us to look at you instead of the circumstances. Thank you, Father, for this lesson and bless the table talk that ensues. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.